Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Psalm 11. Psalm 11, beginning in verse 1. I would say this is one of those messages you wish the whole world could hear. Not because it comes from me. But God's got something to say today. I wish the whole world could hear what he has to say. But in Psalm 11, it's so apropos for us in our time The psalmist says in the Lord, verse 1, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. And here's the theme of the whole message. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids. We think in the Hebrew they're saying His stare, His glance. It tests the sons of men. The Lord, he tests the righteous and the wicked. The one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain snares, fire and brimstone, burning wind. We know very little about that here, but in that part of the world, they had what was called a shirako. And a shirako would come over a certain area and it would be such a hot blast of dry wind. All the green vegetation within a few seconds could be browned. A blast of wind, burning wind, will be the portion of their cup. Why? For the Lord is righteous. Why doesn't he just say, hey, it's okay. I I, I don't want to destroy the world like this and 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 I, I just want everybody to be okay why doesn't he say that he says for the lord is righteous and he loves righteousness the upright will behold his face in 1978 there was a movie that came out called force 10 from Navarone. I'm sure a lot of you that are old, like Wally and myself, remember that movie. George, you have the day off. They dressed as German soldiers. It was about American allies. And uh, the movie was about American and British soldiers who dressed as German soldiers because they had to get inside a dam. The reason for that was there was a bridge 
that they needed to destroy, but it was too formidable for them to destroy. They didn't have enough explosives to bring it down. And, and so they decided if we blow this dam that is above it, the water will come down and take out the bridge. And Edward Fox played uh, a guy named Miller, I believe it is. He was a British actor, and he was the old laid-back uh, demolitionist. And, and so when they set off the charges and in uh, uh, the dam and all of that, nothing happened. It, it was just quiet. And, and boy, they began to rant and rave. And, and, and um, uh, you, I don't remember all of the actors' names, but if you saw them, many of them, you would know them. But they were like, wow, there's just nothing happening. And they were jumping up and down and and saying all kinds of terrible things. And, but the old British soldier that had told them exactly where to place the charges, he's just sitting there smoking his old pipe. He says, you can't expect an enormous volcano with three tiny bags of explosives. He says, you have to let nature take its course. And he just sat there. And a little while, a little bit of water trickled through a crack. And the next thing you know, there's a spray. And the next thing you know, in Hollywood fashion, there's a gusher. And the next thing you know, there's this dam is coming apart. This lake is coming down. And uh, I hate to ruin the movie for you, but our side won. And, and, and so it, just, it was a very dramatic moment, but... I've, I've thought about that with this particular passage. The placement of the explosives were, were, were very vital. If you go in with an atomic bomb or you go in driving some kind of piece of huge artillery, they're going to know right off what you are up to. But if you slip in and if you dress like them and pretend to be one of them and can strategically place those agents of destruction just in the right spot you can shake the foundation of the unshakable i want to share a few things with you this morning in the introduction that i i know will be controversial but i want us to hear them because we live in a world wherein the foundations are shaking the word here in the Hebrew uh, is a word that means pillars or that on which something rests, that which connects it to the earth. It's our typical word for foundation, nothing special about it. But the foundation is so important to every structure. It's what connects it with that which does not usually move unless you live in an earthquake zone. And then, then, of course, the destruction is incredible there because, again, the, found, excuse me, the foundation begins to move. Now, how in the world would you shake the foundation, let's say, of a nation like the United States of America? A nation 300-plus million strong and, and a nation that was built on something unique. I... I, I I, uh, uh, I agree with Pastor Ray Pritchard, a great, great man of God, a great uh, preacher. Uh, it, 
that we need to be deep in theology and long on history as Christians. We need to remember some things about how we got to where we are and, 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 and where we live and what is God, God is calling us to do here in this darkness around us. But the United States is unique in a lot of ways. And I, I think nowadays we downplay that. As a matter of fact, it's almost become a negative. But just let me give you some undeniable uh, uh, unique features of being an American. Until we came here and this nation was established, your rights were given to you by someone who had power over you. For those who had come here, their rights came from King George. They were bestowed upon you by someone who had more authority than you. But when we came here and we developed the Declaration of Independence or declared our independence and, and Constitution uh, uh, developed the Constitution of the United States, uh, we determined and declared clearly that our rights as human Beings come from our Creator. That is unique. Other nations were not built like that. You don't get your rights from uh, 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 King Whizbang. You all remember him. But you get your rights from God, and they're, uh, boy, this word's so hard to say. I practiced it this morning. They're inalienable. I think I did it. They can't be separated from you because they weren't given to you by a government somewhere. They were given to you by the one who created you. And right after we established the Constitution of the United States of America, immediately we developed what is called the Bill of Rights. And if you don't know, uh, that is the first ten amendments to the Constitution of the United States. Now, you have a constitution that describes how government is going to operate. And immediately, and just as importantly, if not more importantly, attached to that is the Bill of Rights. That, that makes sure that this, this government that we have can never infringe on the rights given to individuals by the Creator Himself. So they started out with the First Amendment and that is the government will not interfere in religion. I'll paraphrase them here. But that, that we will have freedom of religion. It, it does not say or does not intend to say or even suggest that religion needs to stay out of government and government needs to stay out of religion. No, it is a restriction on government. It is not a constitution of the church. It is a constitution. It is the Bill of Rights of the government of the United States. It is for the government to stay out of the business of the church and that we would have freedom of speech, freedom of expression, whoever you are. We might not like what you have to say, but we'll go to war and die for your right to say it. You see, we're not a democracy. We're a republic, and we began to show the signs of that here. In a democracy, however, the majority rules. That, that's just how things go. We don't want a democracy because we didn't feel like at the beginning that a democracy would protect the rights of the individual from the majority. If all of you vote to, to take uh, uh, my old Chevy 83 uh, straight side hunting truck, and I know you lust after it often, 
But if you all vote to take it away, you could take it away. But you can't do that in a republic. Because I am protected as an individual even from the majority. Then we had the Second Amendment, and that was just in case somebody forgot about the First Amendment. And it's not the right to own and bear arms. That's not what the Second Amendment is. The Second Amendment says that the government shall not infringe upon the right we were given from God to bear arms. Now, I'm not trying to start a cornerstone militia here. Don't get word out on me here. What I'm saying to you is our rights do not come from the Constitution. The Constitution protects the rights that were bestowed upon us by our Creator. The Third Amendment was that you kept quarter soldiers. I I don't know that we have a lot of that going on, but in that day, soldiers might come to someone's house, especially in England. They could come to your your house and commandeer the whole place. Make it their house. They could turn it into a fort. They could destroy it if they wanted to. As they cross a countryside, they could do whatever they want to do. No, Constitution of the United States, Third Amendment, says you can tell the soldiers to go packing. They cannot come into your house and take over. There can be no quartering of soldiers. The Fourth Amendment was no search and seizure. That is illegal. They, have, they can't just go through your stuff. I don't care how many badges are flashed or whatever. There is a legal procedure for doing that, and you can't break that procedure just because you feel like it. And then the Fifth Amendment, I like it, and I won't go through all of them, but the fifth one I really like, it gives me a measure of security because I'm apt to say stupid things, and it protects me from me. If I'm on the stand in court and I'm about to say something that will incriminate me, uh, then, then Steve Owens, it'll, I, I can just declare the fifth and say, look, I'm, I'm too stupid to stand up here and explain my side of it. I'll be in jail forever. In the Constitution, the Bill of Rights guarantees me that I'm protected even from my own words. Man, how in the world do you bring down a nation like that? We offer something that nobody else is offering. No longer bread lines. And, and, and we're not offering a, a, a greater wealth or, or, or whatever. It wasn't that. What we were offering when this country began was something that few countries could boast about. And that is freedom. Freedom. And we began making sure that that freedom could not be taken away. And I understand not everyone in this country, when these documents were established, I understand not everyone in this country was free. But I will tell you this, we were laying the groundwork even then for the freedom of every single human being in the United States of America. So how do you take down something like this? It's sort of like the soldiers staring at that huge dam. Unfortunately, in history, we have a famous cultural demolitionist named Karl Marx. He was born in the 1800s, 1818. He was a German philosopher. I don't know that he ever worked a day in his life. He was so nasty and filthy. Some of his children actually died from the filth that was in his house. 
He stood up for the working man in these plants and, and factories. As far as history knows, he never stepped foot in one himself. He was the epitome of contradiction, but he had these ideas that societies like America need to be dismantled and they need to be remade. But he's dead now and gone. But let me tell you something. Now we'd recognize uh, outright Marxists, but then others came along like Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky wrote a book called uh, Rules for Radicals. It's one of just one of his books. He was a community organizer in Chicago. Uh, he died in 72 or 74, can't remember which. But Saul Alinsky was a community organizer. Uh, that was basically his job. He was anti-capitalist. He was very much a socialist. And, and, and the, the part that, that really bothers me is how Many of our important leaders in the United States uh, now and in previous years were students of Saul Alinsky. And I'll say this about him. Like most people who are anti-capitalists, he died worth $22 million. I often think of John Lennon who hated capitalism with all his heart. Wanted to do away with it completely, and few have died with as much money as John Lennon did. Rules for radicals. I, I'm, I'm headed somewhere. You just stay with me a second here. At the first of this book that is so famous, one of the dedications he made, he says, was to the very first radical who started out against a great kingdom, but was able to destroy it and start his own, and that would be Lucifer himself. If you go online today and check that, Snopes will say it's not true. Just read the book. I looked at that page yesterday to make sure I didn't dream it. It's there. He dedicates it to his wife. He also dedicates it to Rabbi Hillel because supposedly he was Jewish, but he was pretty much atheistic. And he said, if there is a hell, that is where I would like to go because that's where the have-nots will be and those are my kind of people. And if all the have-nots in America had $22 million, then man, a lot, we would be doing well. Saul Alinsky wrote about how to shake a foundation of a nation even like America, because you got to remember something. It's not that a lot of people hate America. They see it as an opportunity for power and money. So the ones who do just hate America are useful for them. I know we have radicals uh, uh, out there on the fringes. Uh, we have the squad and some people like that. And we have people like Bernie Sanders and people like that. And I know they're on the fringes. And, and I always hate it when people tell me, well, you know, they're radical. Nobody really listens to them. I understand that. But, boy, they are very useful to the ones who have dressed themselves in disguise and are wanting power and prestige because people like that are useful in shaking the foundations. Let me read you Erwin uh, Lutzer. 
He wrote a book called We Will Not Be Silent. Our staff has been going through that book. It's about Christians and us standing up for what is right. He quotes uh, Saul Alinsky. He may have never heard of him, but that's okay. You know about him now. You can read about him. He quotes him and says, Alinsky said this in the 60s and 70s, an organizer, see if this rings a bell, must stir up dissatisfaction and discontent. He must create a mechanism that can use or drain off the underlying guilt of having accepted the previous situation for so long a time. You have to use that guilt. You have to make people feel like you're bad. And that there are other people that are victims. You're always bad, they're always victims. Saul Alinsky said that's key for overthrowing a nation like America. Out of this mechanism, he says, a new community organization will arise. And if you think that, well, but it's all peaceful, I'll give you one last quote and we will move on. He says, speaking, and Lutzer, Erwin Lutzer, he, he quotes him. Again, he says, speaking of the current political structure, he said, he says, they have the guns, and therefore we are for peace and for reformation through the ballot. Most people read that and stop. One more sentence in that quote. When we have the guns, then it will not be through the ballot, but it'll be through the bullet. Now, you say, well, Mike, okay, Saul Alinsky, big deal. I'll tell you, we almost elected a lady as president of the United States a few years ago who wrote her senior college thesis on Saul Alinsky. We elected a president for two terms that wrote one of the chapters in a guide on how to Turn a Community Upside Down entitled After Alinsky. These people are very much students of him. So when you look around our world and wonder, why would we let certain things go on? What is it we are dealing with? Because I think we as Christians, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm, I'm not, we're going to move to the passage because there's a question here that David asks that we need an answer for. What are we as the righteous ones to do when the foundations are shaking? But I think you and I need to understand why they're shaking. I think you and I need to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And that came from Jesus himself. We need to be smarter about what is going on around us than we are. We need to see things sometimes with a very suspicious eye and think, wow, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't make sense. Why in the world would anybody do such a thing? Why is it that we have people right now who are saying we should open the prison doors and just let everybody out? Now we have other people who were saying, well, that could never work. But they love the mayhem those kinds of ideas bring up. They, they, they love the confusion. They, 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 I will tell you something that might blow your mind. There are people in power that absolutely love the chaos you see on your television screen every day. Because to shake the foundations, you have to stir things up a little bit. 
Sometimes you have to let a dog that will really bite. Somebody that's a real radical, you have to kind of let them have their way a little bit. Let them turn things upside down. Now, let's take all of that and look at what you and I have to do. The foundations are destroyed in verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, David asks, what can the righteous do? You see, David was fighting a couple of enemies that had on the same uniform he wore. They had slipped in to the kingdom and they wanted their own kingdom. And they didn't just do it by fighting. Oh no, Saul, he was much like that. That was one of his main enemies that he had to fight. Saul was more live and die by the sword. But he also had a son named Absalom that was constantly going throughout the kingdom and dropping little hints and ideas about his own father. And why, this is the son of David. This is, this is Absalom. This is someone that we should be able to trust. And he tells us his dad is corrupt. He tells us that he could make a better king. And Absalom had... Quite a following for a long time. Saul tried to kill David several times. And and David has this going on all the time, wherever he goes. And when he lays down to sleep, I'm sure he was thinking, who is going to take a shot at me next? Because he is dealing with the very kingdom of David and the foundations of it. They are shaking beneath his Spiritually, boy, our world is shaking beneath ours. I, 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 it may not be a big deal to a lot of people. I, I thought it was significant. I, I think it's a sign of where we are. The La Piata is Latin for the compassion. as It's a s- sculpture by Michelangelo. It's in the Basilica of St. Peter. It is a statue of Mother Mary holding Jesus' dead body, clutching it. This week at the university, or last week at the university, Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., a painting emerged wherein the Jesus... And it was a painting of the La Piata. But in the painting, George Floyd was Jesus. Oh, there's been some stir about it. There are others who think we just need to calm down. Wow. I'm not big into paintings and stuff like that. I'm not a relic worshiper by any means. I just think that it is amazing that we've gotten to that point in our culture where no one has any fear of God, it seems. We have shaken our fist in His face and the foundations of our faith are being shaken as well. We'll survive all of the others. But the foundations of the Christian faith are being shaken. If, if, if you say, what foundations? I, I could give you a, many, but one would be our understanding of eternity. Just a couple of quick ones. 
that this life is not all there is. For most people in this world, this life is all there is. Make all you can, can all you make. It just you 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 gotta hang on to that money for for dear life. We're coming up on Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I hope this year that you just give, man, like you just got it. Uh, Uh, going out of style because I can tell you the one to whom you are giving and the one that you are honoring with that gift I can tell you right now he's got it like it's going out of style and he will bless us for it but what a time for us to be people of gratitude and to realize that this life on this earth is not all there is but think about it we raised our kids in school to believe in evolution that they're just a blob of cells and that Whatever it is they want to do, they ought to be able to do it. There's really no purpose in life. That is a spiritual foundation that has been shaken to its core in our country. Morality is another one. We, we like to talk about uh, and use God's vocabulary, but we, we're not much on His dictionary. We'll say a lot of words that God says, but then when it gets down to what do those words mean, we talk about not judging uh, the men, and I've been dealing with that some on Wednesday nights. And what does that word mean? Well, we've made it out to be that, well, you never make decisions about right or wrong. You don't ever decide something's right or something's wrong. You could offend somebody, and, and so we're not to judge. That is not the sense of what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7. And it's clear throughout Scripture, but we love that godly gospel vocabulary we just don't crack the dictionary often enough. Accountability. I mentioned this, I think, recently. might have been on Wednesday night, but we love speaking in passive voice. If you missed English that day in high school, passive voice is where you really don't identify the subject of the sentence. So you talk about things like, People were murdered. Not a murderer killed some people. That's active voice. People were murdered. Women were raped. People were robbed. Stores were looted. CNN gets the award for the passive voice. I don't even know if you knew there was such an award. There wasn't till this week I made it up. An SUV. They blamed an SUV for the mass killing in Wisconsin. Those old SUVs. It's not passive voice, I know, but points the same. No accountability. There's not somebody doing these things. These things just happen. There's social issues. If we had better housing, better this and that and all of that, we don't ever talk about sin. We never talk about uh, uh, accountability before God or to each other or any of that. We, that. That is just, boy, that is not in our language in this country anymore. That's why that is a foundation that is being shaken to its core. Love or charity is another one I won't mention anymore, but... 
that's where I make a commitment to keep my pride in check and, and my power and my desire to control other people and my temper and, and, and to keep an eye on my patience and, 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 and to love other people and to realize how selfish I can be and how indignant I can be loving other people. All of those are foundational to the Christian faith and I'm afraid we've been infiltrated by those wearing uniforms that don't truly represent Christ. Some of them call themselves preachers. Our foundations have been shaken. Well, what are we to do? David says this is what we're to do. Number one, he says when the foundations are shaken, he says remember that there is advice that we may hear. The advice that we may hear in verse 1. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Flee as a bird. Birds are not meant to fight. Now, for you that were like me and raised on a farm, you've met game hens with biddies. Uh, that is an exception to the rule, okay? She'll kill you. But outside of that, most birds are equipped to flee. And David says, why should I flee? Why are you telling me I should flee to my mountain? Now is not, in a, time, not a time to escape. And I, I know we've all dreamed of, oh, I'd just like to get away from it all. Where would you go? It's all is everywhere. And, and, and I can tell you because we are sinful creatures if you go somewhere to get away from it all, here's the part that's convicting to me. You can't take yourself. Because we're part of the problem. We're sinners. You can't take you. <laughs> uh, it, it, birds, they, they flee. You, you don't get your hands on them. This is kind of a twofold truth for us. One, uh, kind of for the church in general. We, we, we've, we've fled. We, I, I feel we've left our post in a lot of our churches. We have forsaken a lot of truth that we ought to be preaching ideas of right and wrong. We have begun to adapt a more postmodern sort of thinking about a lot of that. You just think about it. Uh, the denominations now that are ordaining uh, homosexual priests and, and, and performing homosexual marriages and, and things like that and and the sanctity of marriage means nothing even to uh, heterosexuals, homosexuals, whatever it might be. I'm, I'm just saying we have gotten so far away from standing up for what is right and wrong. Marriage, gender, abortion. I, I can just tell you it breaks my heart. But in most of our churches, if you were going to decide we we're going to stand against abortion, I think we would do quite well here. I would hope that we would, but I can tell you in a lot of churches there is no consensus on taking the life of an unborn child. Well, it's a complicated issue, they tell me. How? How's that complicated? I know there are complications that can arise. But the issue itself is clear. The church, and we give clever reasons for it. Well, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus, but we don't even know what Jesus was like. 
Most people who say that, well, we need to be like Jesus, don't even know that Jesus says, well, okay, uh, here's my message. Most people are not going to go to heaven when they die. He said, wide is, is that road that leads to destruction, and narrow is that road that leads to life. Many find the road to destruction. Few find that road to life. That, I, I have not heard you say that lately. You want to be like Jesus, I can tell you, you need to read about Jesus. If you want to wear a bracelet that says WWJD, you better find out what Jesus did do before you start proclaiming what Jesus would do. I think about the church in times past. We were quiet on slavery years ago. Church didn't get real involved in that. Remember, there were people on both sides of the issue. As a matter of fact, the first time the idea of pro-choice came about was in Kansas. And it was, are you for slavery or against slavery? And, and the church was all divided. How could we possibly be divided about something like that? Owning another human being created in the image of God? Do we really believe that or not? How in the world could the church have been right in the thick of slavery? We should be ashamed of ourselves. But yet now today, when we finally decide to stand up for those being slaughtered that are innocent, we're told to shut up and sit down. That don't bother me. My wife tells me that a lot. Just kidding. You didn't laugh. You must know her. I can tell you this. The problem is most churches, they shut up and they sat down. And they've come up with some clever notion about how it's more like Jesus just to stay out of that. Sometimes as individuals, we rush off to our little hideaway in the mountains when the going gets tough. We run to that which is familiar. I, I, I like that. We go to places where there's no fear of failure. We, we'll do that. We'll flee sometimes and, uh, to, to those little places of solitude and we get away from what God is really wanting us to do. And sometimes we'll even say, oh, well, God led me. I, I, that, that's, that's another one. Be careful with that. If God didn't lead you, don't say God led you. It's easy sometimes to, to feel like I just need to escape. I need to get away from this. There's a controversial situation here. I know if I dealt with it, it would help me to grow, but I'd rather just run than to deal with it. And then to turn around and say, oh, the Lord led me. Boy, it's easy to paint something with the Lord led me when the Lord has not spoken. He warns us against that. The advice we may hear. Secondly, the adversary whom we must heed. The adversary whom we must heed. In verse 2, he talks about the wicked. Yes, there are wicked in this world. As a matter of fact, if you'll notice, he divides the world up into two kinds, wicked and righteous. And that's how the world is divided today. We have the wicked and we have the righteous. And I'll tell you this, if you're here and you're righteous, 
You're righteous because of Jesus Christ, not because of yourself. And if you're here and you're wicked, you're wicked because you've rejected Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with how well you try to behave. It has nothing to do with your high moral standards. If you are righteous, you are righteous because you receive that righteousness as a gift from Jesus Christ, as a gift of grace, because He went to the cross and paid for our sins. And if you're not righteous, you're wicked. Well, now, I wouldn't say. See, we, we don't like categories like that. So we like to create some, well, I'm trying. Or I'm doing better. I got all that. I understand. I'm not, I, I know we all fail God. We all fail God. I got that. But we have to stop as a church creating these little things that the Bible never talks about. When it talks about there were ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish, five were ready to meet the bridegroom, five were not. It didn't say four were ready and one was almost ready. You either are righteous are you wicked? There's not an in-between. Number three, advice we'll hear at the Viseri, we'll have to heed the arsenal which we must handle. Oh, the enemy's got some weapons. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness. See that? They love working incognito. They're never going to look like they came to tear the church up. They're never going to look like they came to dismantle America. They, it'll always be, well, this is for the best, and this is for the good. And, 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 and it's, it's just, you can dress it up however you want to. But they like to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. The bow is bent. The wicked are ready, friends. The question is, are we ready? Are we ready for what's coming? Are, are we really ready for the attacks that we're going to face? He doesn't say the wicked or, or you know, they're kind of getting ready. No, the bow's bent. Once the bow is bent, I can tell you, shot's ready to be made. It's ready to go. And the arrow is released. Think about that. And that's such a great picture of, of, of that weapon. When you turn that arrow loose, it, it's hard to know where it's going to go. It may hit the target, but what if it goes through the target? And I, I think about sometimes when we as Christians, uh, if we drift off into using the weapons and warfare of the world to get our way, like gossip and things like that, just remember when you turn that word loose, you're responsible for it no matter where it goes. You let her fly. You're responsible for it no matter who it damages, whether it was intended or not. So often we like to say, well, I, I, I know what I did was wrong, but I didn't really mean for this part to happen. It would be like Timothy McVeigh who blew up the Edward R. Murrow building in Oklahoma saying, well, I meant to blow some things up, but the, they did find out that on that third floor, the concrete was not up to code. 
So I'm not responsible for those lives. No, buddy, you set off the bomb. We don't care if the building was about to fall over the next day. You are responsible. You be careful the next time you load your bow up with a big wad of gossip and cut her loose. You're responsible for it wherever it goes and whatever it does. They like shooting in the dark, though. Get back to the wicked. That's where they operate best. They're lovers of darkness rather than light. I, 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 I remember Dr. Vance Havner saying this years ago. <clears throat> he talked about getting used to the dark, and he compared the church to your outside, sunny and bright. Wow. You walk in to say a restaurant and the lights are really low and dim. He said these people are lovers of darkness rather than light. You can't see anything. You're running into people. You're trying to find a table. When you get the menu in your hand, you can't read it. And they got a little candle on the table and you're trying to use that as best you can. But then you begin to notice something happens. You sit there a while, and it's just not quite as dark as it was when you first got there. What happened? Did they turn the lights up? No. Your eyes, your pupils adjusted. So what used to be so dark is just not as dark anymore. Man, things that used to make us gasp hardly even raises our attention. I, I, I read somewhere years ago, it was just blew my mind, that at one time you could not say the word virgin on television because it was too sexually explicit. Virgin. Now you can't say it because so few know what it means. It's incredible. Look where we've come. And many will call it progress. I'm afraid it's not. The advice we'll hear, adversary will heed, arsenal we must handle, the assurance to which we must hold. This is our last point, but let's look at what he says. He says, don't flee to the mountain." I like what he does here. He immediately, once he asks the question, what should the righteous do? He turns the attention of the psalm toward our understanding of God. Of God. In Isaiah chapter 5, I think it's verse 20, woe to them that call good bad or good, evil good and good evil. Call light, darkness, and darkness, light, and sweet, bitter, and bitter, sweet. He lived in that kind of world. It was mixed up. Yeah, way back then, 800 years before Christ came, was born in Bethlehem. 800 years prior to that, he lived in that kind of world. And then in the very next chapter, chapter 6 of Isaiah, he said, It was in the year that King Uzziah died. 
King Uzziah was a great king. He did make a mistake one time going somewhere that he should not have gone into the temple. He went too far in. God struck him down. He was sick until the day he died. God does not play favorites, by the way. That's the lesson there. But King Uzziah was a great king. And Isaiah said, well, all else that was going on, then the king died. But he said, then I saw the Lord. Not a king, not a human, not a political party. I didn't go out and start a, a, a web campaign. I didn't march with a sign. No, I got my focus off what was going on all around me, and I put it back on God. Look at what he says. David talks about the Lord's position. The Lord, he's in his holy temple. That's where the judgments are made about this world is the temple. That's where we meet with God. And, and, and Jesus Christ came. And when Jesus Christ came, he became that temple, that, that go-between between us and God, the high priest. He became the way to God. That's where he was. And he says he was the Lord's throne. It says the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne that is in heaven. It's high above all of this. It's not touched by this. He's not persuaded by uh, politics or any of that. He's not scared because, oh, the Russians are doing something, or China did this, that, or the other. He is so far above all of that, David says, when I look at him, I, I, I find a great measure of peace because God is above all of this stuff. Yeah, I like that part. He says, secondly, the Lord's perception. He said, I find comfort in that. He says, his eyes behold, his eyes see everything. Jehovah Yahri, or we could say Jehovah Jireh sometimes. Uh, it's actually Yahweh Yahri is, is in the Hebrew. But uh, we say it means the Lord provides. It kind of does. But its raw meaning is Yahweh sees. Because it's a Hebrew idiom. In Hebrew, they believe for God to see it was for God to fix it. If he sees it, he says, I've heard the cries of my children, Moses, in Egypt. I've heard it. That's all it takes. I finally heard their cries. If I hear it, I'll do something about it. If I see it, I will do something about it. And he says his eyes are everywhere, and God sees this stuff. And he says his eyelids test the son of man. He looks at us. He sees. He, he, it's, it's like a squint when God looks at us. He knows what is going on in this world. It is not like he's forgotten about it or is unaware. He also talks about his passion. For the Lord is righteous. And he loves righteousness. I have to tell you the reason... God doesn't join in with the, hey, look. Let's all step back and take a deep breath. We've all messed up. Let's just do away with this hell thing and this judgment business. And let's just all, I, let's just all one day go to heaven and we'll just all be together and It'll be nice. You won't have to worry about your loved ones that don't know the Lord. This is 
Why doesn't God say that? According to a whole lot of books that I see and preachers I hear, it sounds like he has, but he hasn't. And the reason he hasn't is because what he loves more than peace is righteousness. And he's offering to make us that way. He's not giving us something that is not available. You and I can't acquire it, but we can acquire it through him and his sacrifice on the cross. He loves righteousness. And then last of all, the Lord's pleasure, the upright, will behold his face. To see the face of God was to have favor with God. It means he's present. He's with you. He's turned his face to us. He knows what's going on. He has blessed us with divine favor. As I close today, I know our world is a mess. It's so incredible what happened this week. You just take life by driving through children. And our world doesn't know how to process it. It it doesn't have a category for that. See, we'll talk about, you'll hear a lot about mental health. Yeah. I saw one of the ladies from the squad, they call it, (laughs) She was proposing this week that we shut all our prisons down. Deal with the ones who have mental health issues and turn all of them loose. And that'll help our country. It looks to me like I know our prisons have a lot of people in them. Do you think about this? When people tell you that, well... You know, we have more people in prison than any industrialized nation in the world. They may not understand that, but you and I should. Because we understand human depravity. And when you live in a country that has as many freedoms and resources as do we, and you turn the depraved loose in a place like that, wow. Matter of fact, we'll even protect you when you get in trouble. (laughs) There are things you could do in India and they would never find you. But here, so different. We have freedoms. And I love those freedoms. And we have resources and I love those. But the pillaging won't end. The looting, there's so much here to have and there's so many ways of getting it and no wonder our prisons have so many people in it. And if, it, it, in my opinion, the, the, the way the crime is going, it, it's almost like we got about half as many in there as we need. But the answer has eluded us. But we know what it is, don't we, church? God created us to have a relationship with him. That's the the component of life. It's not 
like the most important thing, one of the most important things. No, that's why he created us, to have a relationship with him. And when you take that away, wow, there is no direction. There is no right or wrong. There's no peace inside. Get more, kill more, hurt more. You're hurting, others should hurt. If you have and I don't, it's because you have more than me. And I should hate you for that. And, 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 and the thing is, we got so many that are fueling that fire because they're gleaning the power off of it. So sad. Church, let's don't flee to the mountain this time. Let's be light in this darkness. Let's tell people the truth. Let's tell them they need Jesus and tell them why. Let's talk about ideas like unrighteousness and eternal damnation and, and hell and, and, and things like that that we rarely ever talk about anymore. Not to scare people. I'm convinced you won't ever scare anybody into heaven and you won't ever scare anybody out of hell. You, uh, that just, it just never has worked like that. But there are a lot of people, I think, if they found out that you may... You mean God loves me? Yeah, he loves you. You mean he can change my life? He sure can. He sure can. And a lot of them have never heard that. Never heard that. Foundations are shaken. What are we going to do, righteous people? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for answers, God. In a world that gives us so few, in a place where there is such thick darkness, God, you've given us light and guidance. I pray, Lord, you would help us, God, to be lights in this darkness, to let your light shine through us, God, Lord, forgive me. I confess right now in front of your very people, God, that sometimes, Lord, I'd much rather talk about my opinion than to talk about your resolution. I'd much rather fight, God, than humble myself and realize and know that if it weren't for you I'd be just as lost I'd be living a life just as ridiculous I did it one time I've not forgotten God those years were so short for me Lord you call me early in life God and I praise your name for it but Oh, those years were horrible, God. They were all about me. Life was empty. Nothing satisfied me, God. I needed your peace. Lord, I pray you'd help us to share that with the world. That's what they need. Not our opinion, not our thoughts, not our ideas, not for us to start a campaign. Lord, they need for us to tell them 
about you, all about you. Lord, we have to quit treating you as a, an example to follow and start treating you as an object to be worshipped, God. A person to be glorified. I pray that you'd help us to tell people that. Lord, we just ask you to help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.